Hey, what's up, Cub fans? Welcome to episode 116 of Locked On Cubs, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Ryan Davis. I'm here with Sean Sears, and uh, I feel like uh, we've said serenity now enough times on yesterday's podcast that um, we're here to bring you a little bit more enlightened, a little bit more uh, positive vibes kind of podcast today. So how's it going? I'm so much better than yesterday. Like you were saying yesterday, I think we just uh, we just watched a really really annoying game, <laughs> and it was hard to be excited about Cubs baseball. But yesterday kind of reminded us, oh right, this team can do things that are good, and that's always fun. Yeah, they uh, they pulled out a victory in Cole Hamels' debut. It was it wasn't a perfect game. I would I wouldn't say uh, no. It was it was yeah it wasn't perfect, but it was good enough. Um, they did exactly what I mentioned yesterday on the podcast that I, we hadn't seen them do lately, and that's pile on the runs early. They forced Nick right. Kingham from the game in the first inning. He threw 51 pitches. He allowed three hits, one walk, four earned run, or four runs, two earned. Um, after the top of the second inning, the Cubs were ahead 6-1 to one in a game they'd eventually win 9-2. to two. Cole Hamels, on the other hand, was very good. He allowed that one unearned run in the first inning, and that was it. He struck out nine. He topped out at 96 with his fastball. He averaged around 93, which is great for him. He had a ton of swings and misses on the changeup, which is even better. And to prove that he's assimilating nicely into the Cubs pitching staff, he threw nearly 100 pitches in just five innings. So he's a Cub already. <laughs> he's already transitioned. Yeah, <laughs> he uh, he looked great last night. Uh, I think I saw he had... Out of his nine strikeouts, I think six of them came on his changeup, which is a pitch I think he just started throwing like for the first time this year in a really long time. Um, so that's impressive. Uh, from what I heard, I think he was like he had the most Ks while allowing like zero runs in a Cubs debut or something like that, or like the fourth most or something like that behind like Quintana, Harden, and Phil Douglas, I think. So, I mean, I guess it was a historic debut. It didn't necessarily feel historic, but it was good, and it was encouraging. Very encouraging, especially when you have this guy who's been knocked around quite a bit his last five starts with the Rangers. Mm -hmm. um, and then, it, you know, the things we talked about yesterday and the things that I've heard everyone say, you know, people smarter than me, saying well, we don't really think there's a reason for what happened it's just kind of like bad pitch bad time or like one bad inning kind of thing uh, right yeah like his velocity's been very good his stuff is very good uh there's no reason that we think he should continue to get hit like that to see him come out and actually have a really good game very encouraging yeah definitely no epstein said yesterday that uh he they felt like they were betting on the guy and his pedigree and you know like what he they Basically, they were saying they, they believe in Cole Hamels. They're betting on what they think he is and hedging their bets against what they saw these last five starts prior to him coming to the Cubs. And I thought that was interesting. Theo, actually, if, if you guys didn't catch it, you should listen to Theo's interview he did on ESPN 1000 yesterday. It was actually pretty candid. Talked a lot about the farm system. He kind of took a shot at Baseball America, which is very interesting. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was exactly what the Cubs needed. And, like you said, in the top of that first inning, the Cubs scored those four runs. They weren't necessarily – it wasn't like they were banging around. Uh, they kind of were just, like, sneaking balls through the infield. I think, like, Schwarber beat out an infield single by sliding feet first into first base. Mm -hmm. um, it was just like, yeah, one of those games where it didn't feel like things were going to go the Cubs' way, but all of a sudden it was like, you know, boom, boom, boom. The Cubs are up 3, three nothing in the first inning. It was like, well, what? Like, Cole Hamels is taking his first to bat before stepping on the mound. It was right. – <laughs> Interesting game. 
Yeah, and uh, when I was there in St. Louis and Theo talked about uh, the Hamels trade, uh, he talked about the farm system then too, and it was kind of just a, a one short kind of line, but he talked about how the farm system is not very highly rated now, but he said, I, I think you're going to see this time next year. It's going to be much further up the rankings. You're going to have a, a lot more guys being talked about nationally, especially a lot of pitchers. And I kind of agree with that. I feel like there's a lot of pitchers with a lot of talent in the organization, organization. Mm -hmm. uh, guys like uh, Eric Leal and um, all these other guys who are who are going really well uh, or have had some really strong games this year and really flash what they can do. They're just not currently ranked as like really high ranking prospects, I guess. Yeah, he said uh, he said yesterday that like um, the big like he feels like a lot of these systems are like usually like a year behind. Like yeah. you see like the rankings or whatnot. Like I, I would agree with that. I mean, there's plenty of guys we were talking about in 2014 and 15 that people didn't know about until 2016 and 17, vice versa, whatnot. So yeah, that, that seems about right. Yeah, and there's a really good point on you know when people look back and they see oh Glaber Torres for Chapman and Eloy Jimenez for Jose Quintana, people like us who pay attention or or you know get on podcasts and talk about these guys, it makes it seem like oh they traded like a top five in baseball prospect for this guy. Well, no, like Glaber Torres was like maybe a top forty prospect when he was traded and. Um, he was, uh, injured, I think, or, or had been injured, um, the year before and yeah. then same, same for Jimenez. He was a guy flying up the prospect rankings, but he wasn't a top 10 prospect when the Cubs traded him. He was going to be there probably, but, uh, it, you know, the, it's just that kind of hindsight where you're right. It's kind of like a little bit behind, um, yeah. with the ranking system, but, um, tonight the Cubs will place, uh, play the San Diego Padres. The Padres have not won a game since July 23rd, <laughs> which I think makes this four-game series a little bit more scary because it totally does. <laughs> yeah, I, you you would think that they have to win at least one, uh, and just kind of like balancing things, you would think they would have to win probably two of the four. But uh, hopefully, the Cubs can do what they need to do and take at least three or four. I'll bring up a stat in just a minute that'll explain why. Uh, maybe the Cubs will take three or four or even sweep. Uh, yeah. And tonight is an excellent chance to do it. Uh, Mike Montgomery said after his last start that he feels really good and he's very strong. He had been dealing with a back issue, but the back issues feels fine. And that was despite allowing a career high 12 hits and a loss to the Cardinals. So hopefully he's on his game again tonight back at Wrigley Field. Robbie Erlin of the Padres has a 3.47 ERA in 59 and two thirds innings this year. But over his last seven starts, he has a 6.75 ERA in 36 innings. So... My point on the Padres, I'm going to tell you uh, last 40 games for them. Go ahead and give me your best estimated guess what what you think their record is in those 40 games. Uh, I kind of cheated before. I know their last 30 games, they were 7-23. and 23. Um, <laughs> So, so right worse than that. <laughs> right on track. They were 9-31 and 31 in their last 40 games. Oh my god. Uh watch the Cubs give them three or four. Um <laughs> <laughs> if that happens, uh, if the Cubs lose three or four, I will be like totally jumping ship onto the the Brewers are gonna win this division. Yeah, we might turn into a beer podcast. Um just kidding. Um but um yeah, no, the Cubs should win. I mean the Padres are like one of the worst teams offensively. I don't think I don't I think they're like Bottom three and runs scored. I think they are the worst team in con considering how many home runs they've hit. Offensively, this is a team that the Cubs should pretty much wax. Like, they need to tune up their pitching staff against these guys and then go into the – hopefully gain some momentum and go into the rest of this series 
and just crush some teams. I know they played the Royals afterwards, you said, right? Yeah. 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 So, so um, the next seven games, and I wanted to make a point on um, this is part of the easy schedule for the Cubs. And those are, you're at the point where it's like, okay, so all season it's, it's always, you want to beat the bad teams, but you know, sometimes the bad teams take two out of three uh, or they split a, a four game set with you. And you're kind of just like, well, baseball is going to baseball, you know, that mm-hmm. that'll happen. The Cubs are not at a point where that can happen anymore because it has happened a few times. And then other times they've beaten up on the bad teams. Like they swept the Royals or swept the, uh, the Padres before they're at the point where to win this division, they absolutely have to take advantage of all the bad teams on the schedule. And so the Padres for four, having gone nine and 31 in their last 40 games, you got to win three of those. Uh, then you have the Royals. They are in a string of 13 days where they played 13 games. They had, I think an off day because of a, a rain out. And then they played a doubleheader the next day. So 13 games, 13 days in a stretch in which they have gone, from Kansas City to New York to Chicago to Minnesota and then back to Kansas City to play the Cubs. That's a lot of travel and a lot of games in a very short period of time. Basically two weeks you've been in uh, five different stops, same city twice, but bookending the trip. So that is a series where you absolutely have to take two of three. So anything less than five and two in this seven game set, I think is a massive failure. Yeah, no, you, that's a great point. You've got to win these games. Uh, the big thing we saw last year and even just in 2016, the Cubs beat up on some bad teams, at least in the second half the Cubs did um, of, of 2017. You've got to beat these bad teams. Um, you got to boost your record when you can and, you know, play pray for splits against these aggressive teams. I mean, clearly, like we mentioned yesterday, they're playing the Brewers eight times. You got to win probably more than half those games to really feel comfortable in this division. But you got to take these bad games and you got to win them. And you got to, I mean, you pray for a sweep. I mean, you got to take these games when you can. That's all. I mean, that's cut and dry. That's what's going to get you into a better spot and bank these wins, kind of like the Brewers did at the beginning of the year. Uh, you know, the you, the Cubs can't play down to their competition at this point. Right. And uh, four and three, just over any seven game stretch is not like a bad record, but right. uh, against these teams at this point in the season with the standings being what they are and, and the rest of the record or rest of the schedule being what it is, Four and three just doesn't do it for me. I mean that that yeah. will that, that doesn't create separation because when you play the good teams, you're hoping just basically to go five hundred against them. Like when you're playing right. the Brewers, if you go five hundred against them the rest of the year, you'd probably take it. Although you'd you'd much rather beat them. Um, but if you go five hundred against the good teams the rest of the year, that's fine. But you really have to beat up in these bad teams, and uh, exactly, I, I think they're going to. I, I I really feel like the Cubs take at least five of the next seven games and and put themselves in a good position. Then they have. I think the Washington Nationals for four at home, I think, and then the Brewers for two at home. So yeah. going into that, um, hopefully, you know, get, set themselves up nicely. Uh, if they don't have a division lead of at least a couple games by the end of those two Brewers games, uh, I think we'll know a lot more about where this team's going um, yeah. than than what we do now, I guess. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a great point. I mean, basically, the, the Cubs, they've got a, they got to show up, and I feel like you well, like you said, they're a team that they just know when they need to compete and when they need to push. I'm just nervous that they're going to run out of gas towards the end of the season now, like we talked about. But you know, at this point, this is what you got to do. So you got to be mentally tough, and you got to pray that this depth can kind of keep the Cubs afloat and not just completely drained heading into the postseason. Yeah, and I think there's uh, a really good point. Uh, I can't remember what the numbers were, but someone said that Joe Madden's teams are really good in August. And the Cubs specifically, uh, since Joe Madden came to Chicago, have been 
uh, really, really good in August every single year. Uh, if you remember 2015, August is really when they took off. 2016, yeah. obviously, they were great all year, but um, you know they really took off after the All-Star break, so August was, was a big part of that. And then um, same thing last year, they were really bad. The first half uh, took off in the second half and, and won a lot in August and September. So I feel like it, August is where it's going to happen if it's going to happen. And if we go into September still like you know really right there with the brewers i'm going to be uh, you know progressively more nervous about where this where this might be going yeah i i'm there with you but you know i don't know man it could be tough the cubs don't have john lackey to carry the weight like he did last august right exactly <laughs> uh, but now they have cole hamels as their number five if you want to call him i don't know man i don't know if he can i don't know if he can recreate what lackey put together last year it was really a special season <laughs> Here's a fun question before we go to segment two. Uh, <laughs> yeah. If you, let's say the Cubs are in the playoffs and it's starting like in three days mm -hmm. uh, and you had to take this rotation and line it up your one through four and the guy who has to sit out uh, as of right now, who are your one through four in the postseason and, and then the guy who has to sit? Hmm. I, I would say, I mean, clearly like Lester Hendricks locks. Um, if Darvish is healthy, he's in there. Uh and then I'd probably go Quintana and then just kind of roll Cole Hamels through when you can. Uh, I basically, what I would use him for is an insurance for Quintana or like maybe Darvish if they can't go with a full game or even Lester or something like that. Just expect to like, you know, double up on a starter for a game or something like that. So maybe go like Lester for four, Hamels for whatever, get to the bullpen. But yeah, those would probably be my four. If everything's healthy and everything's going accordingly, those are the guys I think should be in the rotation. See, I was thinking um, everything as it is now, so no Darvish, but I would have gone uh, Lester and Hendricks, obviously, as locks. Mm -hmm. I, I would put Hamels in there um, just based, based on reputation, based on, right. like, he, he's kind of got the John Lester thing. There, there was a lot of, like, comparing those two. Uh, right after he came over, he talked about how uh, Lester is very similar to him as a pitcher. So, like, when he's scouting ahead of teams, he always watches John Lester uh, pitching against them. I thought was really interesting and so he was really yeah. excited about the idea to be on the same team as him and pick his brain so um I put him in that same kind of playoff category like you don't you don't bet against Cole Hamels in the postseason kind of thing so um, okay I like Lester, that yeah Lester Hendricks Hamels and then that fourth one man um it's a real toss-up honestly yeah I guess I guess Quintana but but you're in, uh, yeah, it's, your scenario, you're assuming that Darvish is still like a non-factor, right? He's like not yeah. in this situation. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, I'd probably go Quintana over uh, Montgomery too, just because I think Monty at that point his value is probably more valuable as a, a swing reliever than it is as a six inning starter. Yeah, you're probably right. But yeah, I, I think that would be yeah, that would be the smart way to do it. I, I would trust like game three is always like the really important game of the five game set. So I would mm -hmm. I would want Lester on the mound for game one and. Hamels on the mound for game three. I think that's that would be a smart way to line it up as of today. Obviously, in October, if they get there, that's it could be a completely different story at that point. Right, right. No, I, I, I like that. I could get behind that. All right, uh, let's go ahead and finish up. We'll go to our second segment where we're going to talk about an MVP candidate on the Cubs. Mm. So uh, you brought this up uh, when we were planning it before the podcast a lot of Cubs Twitter is uh, chattering about Javi Baez as a potential MVP. And 
early in the season, I had seen people talking about it, and uh, I was just kind of rolling my eyes. I go, Cubs Twitter, here we go. Yeah. A guy's having a good year, so he's the MVP, of course. Um, Those are the rules. Yeah, but now it's the, the, the chanting is getting louder, and I feel like it's also getting more, more and more realistic to actually happen. So let me give you some numbers, and we can talk about why or why not Javier Baez could be the MVP. He's still leading the National League in RBIs at 83. He has 22 home mm-hmm. runs, 19 stolen bases, a 302 batting average, 335 on base, 575 slugging. Um, he doesn't lead in any of those categories, and in fact, uh, is behind Nolan Arenado in all three in the in the slash line categories. Nolan Arenado has 4.5 wins above replacement. Baez has 4.0. You also have Matt Carpenter ahead of them at 4.4. Baez is tied with Freddie Freeman with 4.0 wins above replacement, and then Lorenzo Cain right behind at 3.8. He's had an outstanding year for the Brewers as well. 299 average, 394 on base, 425 slugging. He's not a big slugger, but uh, 19 stolen bases. He gets on base. He scores runs. So uh, those, I think, are the guys who are in the conversation. I would have put Paul Goldschmidt in there too, but he has fallen off just a little bit uh, statistically. Yeah. Um, he's, you know, for the people who watch the war numbers, he's quite a bit behind uh, the rest of the pack. He's basically tied with Christian Yelich and more and, and Eugenio Suarez. So kind of tells you where he is. But um, those are essentially your top five I would think, and I mean, I guess the Rockies are kind of getting back into it, but um, the Car- the Cardinals aren't a contender, so that's going to take a lot of votes away from Matt Carpenter, from people who think an MVP needs to be on a contender. You yeah. got Arenado, you got Freeman, Baez, Kane. I feel like that's your four, right? I, I can't think of anyone else. I mean, unless, unless like someone were to come back from injury like uh, Chris Bryan and hit 25 home runs uh, in a month of baseball deal, which no, um, but <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, right. just looking at a, uh, since like June 11th, I believe Michael Cerami pulled this up. I just pulled up the more updated numbers here. He tweeted this out yesterday. Um, Baez is slashing 374, 411 and 650. His OPS is at 1062. Uh, he's got a triple, eight home runs, 37 RBIs, uh, has nine walks to his 41 strikeouts. Not a very good ratio, but impressive for him. Um, <laughs> he's got 32 scored runs. And according to baseball stats, which you know I've not been able to confirm this. This is just something I pulled off Twitter. Uh, 13.7% of the time, Javier Baez steps into, the, uh, steps into the box and hits an extra base hit. That apparently leads the league. Mm. What like wow? I know he's on a five-game extra base hitting or extra base hitting streak right now. Uh, he's just being everything the Cubs need him to be right now. It's frustrating that they haven't been able to pull some of these wins in games that Bias just goes off, and I think it gets overlooked a little, little bit sometimes. But he's been about as consistent as anyone has been in this offense this year, which is just insane to think about. Right, and um, there's a lot to his game that. Um, gets overlooked. Um, Fangress has a, has a stat, uh, BSR, which I think stands for base, base running. Base running. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he's second in the National League, only behind Billy Hamilton in base running uh, in that stat. He is 5.5, Hamilton's 6.7. 
Trey Turner is 5.3. So those are like burners on the bases with Baez in the middle. And Baez is fast, but he's not a burner like those guys. Really weird and interesting. Um, The guy who's fifth in base running runs. Is it Chris Bryant? (laughs) No, it's the guy you really wouldn't expect. It's Addison Russell. No way. The guy... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the guy who got thrown out at third base because he made the uh, the bad turn at second and made the third the first out at third. That's so, that's really funny. You know, it's funny you say that. Is I was thinking as he uh, when he was turning on that plate and got thrown out at third. Um, I was thinking I was like, God, he's usually really good at at cutting the corners. Like I just thought he came out of the box and it was just like he was caught staring at the ball too long or something. Maybe I don't know, yeah. but I always did think Russell did run the bases really well. So that's interesting, but. Yeah. I'm not going to put much stock into that stat. It's always, it's just like the clutch stat that Fangrass puts out there. Like it's an awesome, like interesting stat, but I'm not going to like hold it up and be like, look, look at this player. He's the clutchest of all the clutch. Like, right. no. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, it's just an interesting stat to tell you like, okay, so who's been good at running the bases, you know, doing things like first to third, right. uh, first to home, that kind of thing. So, um, but yeah, Baez, he also has the intangible stuff where, um, you know, like yesterday, he absolutely made a stupid play um, by baseball etiquette. Uh, he took off while Kingham was still in, like standing on the mound before oh he got into the gosh. stretch. And, yeah. and because it was Javier Baez running, instead of just lobbing the ball to third base and him being out, Kingham threw it away and he scored. So it's like it's things like that that have happened for him all year that objectively they're bad baseball plays. Right, but because it's Baez, because he's fast, because he's smart, because he knows how to slide around that bag and and be safe. I think it makes people panic just a little bit more, and right. and allows him to come around and score, allows him to get in. So he has that kind of intangible. But I don't feel like a lot of voters are going to see that. No, or, or gonna... <laughs> they, they might hold it against him. Honestly, yeah, <laughs> they might just think he's lucky. <laughs> yeah, and that that's kind of like when I don't remember if you remember this, but. Uh, that thing in the athletic where they talked about the most overrated players and one player was quoted as saying like Baez does a lot of stuff that the fans love because it works out, but it's really frustrating from the other dugout because it's things that you shouldn't do. Uh, It's things that you grow up being taught not to do on the field because it's not a smart play, but then it always works out for him. So everybody loves it. And, and that's kind of how I feel like watching him just like, yay, he, you know, they threw it into left field and he came around to score, but, why yeah <laughs> <laughs> no 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 y- yes what yes okay there's a run yeah exactly it's like uh what's it it's like that gif of um uh the warriors head coach uh steve kerr saying like no 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 steph curry like pulls up from half court and just drains it yeah. <laughs> and then it's just like okay well it worked it shouldn't have but i guess that's a thing we can do now um <laughs> Yeah, that's so I think that's that's Baez's MVP case is he's having a great year offensively. He's an outstanding defensive player. He's flexible. He can play second, uh, short and third and does move around quite a bit. It's kind of like Bryant in 2016 where he moved from third and played left and right quite a bit that year. Yeah. Uh, And then won the MVP. Baez has had that same defensive flexibility. He's hitting home runs. He steals bases. I think uh, if he picks it up, uh, he picks up the pace a little bit on the stolen bases. He could be a uh, 30-30 guy for the Cubs. There's just a lot to love about what he's doing. I just feel like a lot of what makes him 
a potential MVP will get overlooked. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel too. Um, I feel like the things that really make him special are things that people may not be able to give him credit for. Um, and that, that, that's going to probably hurt him. So, um, I would say with the story, if the Braves make the, the postseason and Freddie Freeman keeps having the season he's having, he's probably the, the easiest one to pick as the MVP. But, yeah. um, bias is in this conversation, at least I, I legitimately at this point, it's not so much like Cubs fans being like, well, what about Javier Baez? It's kind of like, well, how do you not talk about Javier Baez at this point? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think anything worse than finishing fourth in the MVP voting would be kind of a screw job on yeah. bias so i think i think if he wins it you should be surprised and very happy but uh, if he finishes anywhere in the top four you should be like okay that's pretty appropriate but um yeah i think uh, if i had to make a pick right now mm-hmm. i'd probably say nolan arenado because the rockies have gotten into it uh i think last i looked they were second in the uh national uh, in the national league west right yeah they had leapfrog the dodgers uh, now they're back back in third. So the Dodgers and, and Diamondbacks are tied in first place. The Rockies are 58 and 49 in one game back. So uh, they're competing in that division. And it's not like with a terrible record, they're on pace for what, like almost 90, 90 wins. So, um, yeah, yeah I, I feel like that's a reasonable pick. He's an outstanding defensive third baseman. Uh, he is uh, obviously a great offensive player, uh, better than Baez in both you know, in all three slash lines, uh, yeah. he has more home runs. He's only three behind him in RBI. If you want to look at like park neutral stats, such as like WRC plus his WRC plus is 146. Baez is 137. So um, objectively better as an offensive player this year. So um, that would be the guy that I think probably should win it as of this moment. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I could see that too. I just think uh, I expect the, the Rockies to, come back to earth a little bit i mean they, they've been really good and they are a good team i just uh i'm not sold on their pitching as okay. i don't think anyone is and i think that's going to hurt Renato in his case but who would be your guy for mvp if you had to pick right now i, I think probably freddie freeman I, I think he's he's had such consistency throughout his his career for the most part and i feel like people just don't appreciate the guy with the season the braves are having i i feel like this is the year for freddie freeman if the braves win this division i don't see how freddie doesn't get it but that's just yeah. my take. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. 316 batting, 399 on base, 531 slugging, uh, 147 WRC plus. So he actually edges out Arenado there in park neutral. Batting uh 4.0 war tied with Baez. So he's half a win behind there, Arenado. But you know, obviously not everybody just looks at war and, and totals it up that way. So uh, there's a lot of different factors. I could see Freeman winning the MVP. Yeah, I just it just feels like his season to me. I don't know. I mean, I guess Arenado is the clear cut better player. I think collectively and like just like you know, I, I would say most fans probably would say just like you know objectively that Arenado is the better player just because they probably know him more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would I would agree too. But I just think Freeman's having a good year, and I like Freddie Freeman. So yeah. I have uh, a little bit of a grudge against Arenado because I uh, I am in the camp of thinking that the Chicago Cub third base, and you might have heard of him, Chris Bryant. Is a little bit better than him. So I have heard that name. <laughs> yeah. I, I think when both are healthy and at the top of their game, Bryant is the better uh offensive third baseman. Right. is way better defensively. Oh yeah. Uh, uh Bryant, I think, is the smarter overall player, you know, when you include base running and, and right. baseball IQ, that kind of thing. But uh man, they're they're both really close for me, actually. Like I, I like Bryant a lot, obviously, because he's the hometown guy and he's 
like the only baseball player I would ever probably vouch for and say I, I think he is legitimately a good person. I would yeah, I wouldn't vouch for any <laughs> other player and say that I think that guy's a good guy because I'd be like, well, no, he's a baseball player, so I have no clue. But Bryant legitimately feel that you feel in your heart that he's a good person, so you want to root for him. They're so close for me; it's it's hard for me to put one over the other. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's. I, I agree. Um, I'm going to be biased and include say I love Chris Bryant more, so there it is. But totally uh, <laughs> I don't think anybody listening is going to be upset with you for doing that. Yeah, I uh, I'm going to lean towards Chris Bryant, guys. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, he may or may not be the wallpaper on my phone. I mean, you know, it is what it is. But <laughs> all right, well, I feel like that was good MVP conversation. Uh, we'll probably come around on that again in maybe like a month or so and see where yeah. we stand uh, at the beginning of September. Maybe maybe Bias is making a stronger case for number one at that point. Uh, maybe Arenado's fallen off a little bit. Maybe Freddie Freeman falls off a little bit, or the Braves kind of sink the in in the rankings. But it, it also feels disingenuous for me to like if those guys are still having great years, but their teams kind of fall out of it. For me to come out and be like on the table for bias because I've always been the guy who's like, you don't have to be a first place team to have an MVP candidate. Like you, yeah. Like I've always said throughout the team records, look at the guys like on paper and. Um, for that fact, the fact that I didn't even really discuss Matt Carpenter felt a little disingenuous on my part because his offensive season has been outstanding. He, I think, is actually leading the National League in WRC+. Plus. Yeah. Uh, and he is 155 for him. So um, that that's a guy who absolutely deserves to be talked about. Leading in that category, second behind Arenado, just behind him with 4.41. Absolutely red hot second half. So that's a guy who deserves to be in the conversation. Yeah, he. Uh, I would describe his season as bonkers because he went from being very, very bad to like the hottest hitter in baseball. Like, you, the intentional walk is the option at this point. Like, sometimes, like with runners on base, like you just can't. Like, I, he's just scary. He's a scary guy to pitch to at this point. He's just crushing everything. Yeah, and when you look at all these other guys on the list, they all have insane batting average on balls in play because. Obviously, if you're having a great season, it kind of works that way. Mm-hmm. But uh, Carpenter's is only 309, which is pretty normal. <laughs> it's <laughs> I mean, <like> very average. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, Freddie Freeman, 362. Arenado, 324, which is close to average. Uh, Baez is 353. So, like, these guys are r- way up there. Yeah. And that, that does make sense. I mean, I guess he did start out slow. So, having a rough season like that does make sense to an extent. Um, but it's also kind of like, like what? I, mean, I guess he is just slapping the ball out of the park right now. I mean, I, I don't know if that True. necessarily helps your Babbitt that much. But yeah, what, like what? <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. All right, well, we can wrap on that. We'll talk about that again in like a month or so and, and see how wrong we were. Uh, and let's go to our final segment. We'll talk a little bit about the NL Central. So the good news, uh, in addition to that awesome victory for the Cubs and Cole Hamels, is that the Brewers lost. The Los Angeles Dodgers scored a walk-off two-run homer from Yosemani Yosemani Grandal in the bottom of the 10th inning to beat the Brewers 6-4. The Pirates, of course, lost to the Cubs, while the Cardinals beat the Rockies 6-3 and took 2-3 in that series. The Reds fell again at the hands of the Detroit Tigers 7-4. So as of today... The standings are the Cubs back in first place alone at 64 and 45 and still with the best record in the National League. The Brewers are one game back at 63 and 48. The Pirates dropped back to seven. 
and 56 and 53. Cardinals are seven and a half back at 55 and 53. And the Reds are 48 and 60, 14 and a half games back. So all the things that we talked about yesterday about why winning that game was important, it all ended up being true. Putting the Pirates back to seven games back, checking off those two head-to-head games was really important in kind of establishing that the Pirates are not at this moment serious in contending the division. Yeah, I, I that that's exactly what I was thinking too. After yesterday, I was like, everything panned out the way we thought it might, which is huge. Uh, but yeah, keeping the keeping the Pirates away like that, seven games is, is a big big spot to come up from. And I mean, it's going to take both the Brewers and the Cubs having a really short, bad stretch for the, I mean, the Pirates to put together basically a week's worth of wins. At, yeah, no, it's it's very unlikely at this point. So I think I think like you said, if this is the way it continues here for the next week or so, I think it's pretty safe to assume it's Cubs and Brewers for this division at this point, which. I think helps the Cubs up immensely. Yeah. And it's what we said yesterday going into the final two months of the season. uh, The pirates look at being five back very, very differently from being seven back. Yeah. I I feel like that, that lost for the pirates, maybe not for them as a team, but I think for their fans probably was kind of like a punch in the gut because it was just like, Oh, we get, we won the first game. If we take this game, we'll just be five games out in the division after this big climb back from being really terrible for a couple months. And now that here they are only a half game up on the Cardinals. And I think almost as close to the Reds as they are to the Cubs and Brewers. Yeah. And you think about too, like, I mean, the way they lost that game yesterday too, just had to be a very like deflating feeling. I mean, the Cubs just beat up on them. Cole Hamels just was lights out for five innings. They were able to score two runs. Like the Cubs threw Tyler Chatwood at the end of that game. Like they had to be like, well, damn. (laughs) (laughs) Like this is not going the way we wanted it to at all. (laughs) And we should probably talk about Chatwood for a minute. Um, Tyler Chatwood, the reliever, is very similar to Tyler Chatwood, the starter. Yeah. Uh, What was it? Uh, A ground ball to third base after like a 2-0 count. And then a 2-0 count that turned into a base hit. And then a 3-1 count that turned into a walk. And then a scorched liner to third base that turned into a double play. So the Tyler Chatwood experience condensed into one inning. Yeah, seriously. I was like, wow, he's really just going to give everyone the, the the normal Tyler Chatwood experience in, you know, <laughs> an inning. Like, this is stupid. <laughs> like, come right. on, man. Throw strikes. It's 9-2. Like, what are you doing? I, I was know. a little surprised too that uh, his velocity didn't ramp up at all. I was expecting a few more miles per hour on the fastball. He's yeah. pretty much hitting like 92 on the fastball and like 88, 89 on the cutter. So that was a little bit surprising. But I guess maybe maybe as he gets a little more into it, sure. it'll be different. But yeah, he just looked pretty much like like he was going out there in the first inning. Only it was the ninth. Yeah, that it's like yeah, he probably doesn't know how to approach the game yet, like that. But uh, yeah, I, I was expect I was hoping like he would see some like ninety six from Chat Chatwood because I know he can do it from time to time. But I mean, who knows where it's gonna go? So um, I also wouldn't be surprised if he was trying to approach it as if he were a starter coming to this and how he would like you know work his way into the game. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of like mm, if you lose this game by trying to pretend to be a starter in the ninth inning, I will. I will hurt you, Tyler Chatwood. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was watching that that last inning with my wife, and she goes, oh, they're up 92. And I said, yeah, but Tyler Chatwood's on the mound. <laughs> yeah. like, and her response was kind of a confused, like, but they're up seven runs in the ninth inning. And I said, yeah, but Tyler Chatwood is on the mound. I don't think you fully understand the abilities of Tyler Chatwood. <laughs> yeah, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be a major pessimist here. I'm just telling you, like, there's a reasonable chance this game, like, 
goes to shit within like the next few minutes and you got to get somebody else in there to close out like a nine to six win. Like the, that was all very possible. Yeah. Fortunately it didn't end up that way, but uh, yeah, it was the other weird thing is he, as a reliever has decided to go all from the stretch. Yeah. Which, what was that about? I, I know a lot of relievers do that. And maybe he thought like making a change to be a little more like a reliever might change his mentality or help him a little bit, or maybe they think it's going to help his mechanics. But and this is totally anecdotal because I don't have any stats in front of me. I feel like from the stretch is where he's been at his worst this season. Uh, when he's actually going into the lineup, he's been a little bit better until he gets runners on. But it feels like once he gets that first runner on is where everything just kind of goes haywire for him once he gets into the stretch. So I didn't I didn't really like that. Yeah, I thought that was weird. I didn't I didn't really get it either. Um, side note, I want to get your take on this really quick. We talked about whoop, whoop, as I punch my mic. Um, we talked about it yesterday about the Cubs likely trying to send down a guy to bring up Brandon Kinsler, ended up being Randy Rosario. Mm-hmm. Reports came out that Rosario was upset with that move, move uh, getting pushed onto I, which I get. I understand if you have an ERA of sub two with the Cubs on a, you know, for you've been with the team for about two months now. I can see him being a little upset. I still feel like that was the right decision. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I feel like for right now, where they are on the season, it was the right decision. Uh, I'm, for me personally, it's easy for me to sit here and say, Brian Dunsing's look terrible. Just go ahead and cut him and pay the rest of his money uh, for this year and next year uh, to send him away because that was really the only other move unless somebody was injured, which clearly they weren't. Uh, so with Rosario, it was kind of just like, well, you're kind of sol because you have the option and why would we you know why would we dfa this other guy and pay him his money to go away uh to just keep you on the roster and we could just send you down and bring you back up later like that that all makes perfect sense to me uh from my point of view i, I kind of feel like dunsing is pretty much done like he's not going to be uh the guy he was last year i don't think that's ever coming back at least this season so um it's easy for me to say like i would have just cut him loose because i feel like you want to keep the best roster intact that you can and uh but at, at this point it's like you know you're keeping that guy around and while also keeping rosario that that makes a lot of sense to me so that was the move that i figured they were going to do i just didn't know if they were actually going to do it or if they're going to find somebody to dl or, or what but i totally understand why rosario's not happy because he came up and he uh got the results even though we've talked about the uh, peripherals not being exactly great. Uh, he's stranding like a really high percentage of base runners, which is unsustainable. He walks too many. He doesn't miss bats. Like a lot of it has been uh, kind of smoke and mirrors type stuff, but he's been getting the results. So that that's all you can ask for. And, and he's right. got to deal, deal with all the fans on Twitter calling him the goat. So that's probably getting into his head a little bit. So yeah, he's probably a little shocked that he was being sent back down to triple a. Yeah, it's, it's sad because I like Randy Rosario and I love his dynamic with Pedro Strope in the clubhouse. I thought that was really fun. But I also think this is probably the move I'd make too. You give Dunson like maybe a month to figure it out. September call-ups come. Maybe you cut him and see what you've got. But yeah, I didn't think it was that big of a deal. There's a lot of people that were like upset on Twitter that Rosario was going down. And I think it was just because they're looking at his ERA and looking at Dunson's ERA and being like, what, where – I can do math and the math is wrong. <laughs> like it's very yeah. obvious. And it's like, yeah, I, I get it. Yeah. Clearly Rosario's had a better season than Dunson, but you know, are we talking about either one of them being on the postseason bullpen? Like, no, like neither one of these guys are going to be involved here. So like, it doesn't, doesn't really matter. Give Dunson the chance to see if he can 
salvage something, but you know, am I expecting these guys to be a part of a postseason team? No, no, don't put them there. I, I think Rosario probably has a chance, but that's probably if somebody's injured. Yeah. Think. Or like, just like, yeah, like, like, like matchups. He's that border he's that borderline guy for me. Like if somebody's injured, I think he's probably on the postseason roster. But yeah. Um and really I, I can understand why he's upset because I right. I'm sure he doesn't like have everybody's like options memorized like he doesn't know who else can be sent down he doesn't know like you know that kind of stuff i'm sure he's not thinking about like whether brian dunson can be sent to triple a or so he's showing up to the ballpark thinking like you know hey i'm doing my job so i'm still here and um yeah so i'm sure he was probably taken aback by that i have a kind of a short funny rosario story from st louis that i didn't tell yet that i, I should tell before we stop okay um, so uh, Cole Hamels was traded for. He wasn't there yet. This is on Friday, I think. Um, and so all the media wanted to talk to Jesse Chavez because uh, we wanted to get his thoughts on Hamill and, and all this stuff. And um, so we're all just kind of standing around and Jesse is kind of like getting ready. Like he wasn't naked or anything, but he was just kind of like getting ready at his locker. So a whole bunch of us are just kind of standing like lurking. And um, Randy Rosario was right there and he kind of looks up and he sees like, I kind of made eye contact with him and he kind of like his eyes got big, kind of like, is everyone waiting to talk to me? <laughs> and and he kind of like did this kind of slow, like where he like has this quiz- inquisitive look on his face and kind of pointed at himself to me, like, like, are you waiting for me? <laughs> like he didn't say anything, but that was kind of like the body language he had. And I kind of just like shook my head, like, no, like, no, no, you're fine. And he goes, <sighs> and then goes back to what he was doing. Like he was terrified that the media was waiting to talk to him for some reason. And I bet it was like this whole thing. Like he thought, oh no, are they sending me down because they got Hamels? Like what, you know, what, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, what do I not know? Yeah. <laughs> tell me, just tell me. <laughs> <laughs> oh um, man that's really funny it's real, it's not to be Randy Rosario but it's funny <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> uh real quick before we wrap I, I this popped up on my phone so I thought it was appropriate given our our second segment topic it says poll numbers reveal a tight NL MVP race and according to MLB.com's most valuable player poll uh Freddie Freeman holds a slim lead over Nolan Arenado in what appears to be a two-man race so there you have it. Um, it. It says wide open nature of the race is reflected in the MVP voting. 10 NL players received at least one vote in our poll. Uh, in addition to the leaders, Milwaukee's Lorenzo Kane also re- uh, received a third base nod. So um, the entire article, I don't believe there is even a mention of Javier Baez. So that tells you how, how MLB as a whole looks at the MVP race. Sorry, Javier Baez stands. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> Please don't be mad at the MLB. <laughs> don't yell at us online. <laughs> yeah. We made, we made the case. We made the case. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. This has been episode 116 of Lockdown Cubs, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. I'm Ryan Davis. That's Sean Sears. Enjoy the game tonight.